the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Not only do you sound lovely, you look lovely as well. It's great, great to be here. Those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm on the leadership team here at Belmont, and it's great to be speaking to you this morning. If you have been here over the last few Sundays, you will know that we've been journeying together through John's Gospel. Last week, uh, we learned from Simon when we were looking at John 5. This, we learned that Jesus' words can do for sin and condemnation what you've just seen them do to muscles, nerves, tendons and ligaments. That's the bigger meaning to the healing of the paralysed man at Bethesda that we looked at last week. So this week we're thinking about some really big miracles that Jesus carried out. Feeding of thousands and thousands of people with just five small loaves and two fish and then Jesus walking on water to climb into the boat with his disciples. Now, I wonder if you know how many miracles are recorded in John's Gospel. I have to confess, I didn't know until I was preparing for this week, and I was um, surprised to discover there are only eight. If you don't count the incarnation and the resurrection, they're amazing miracles, but they weren't ones that Jesus just carried out by himself. If you don't count those, there are only eight Miracles. These are the miracles. Water into wine at the wedding at Cana. Healing the official's son. Healing the lame man at Bethesda on the Sabbath. Feeding the 5,000 at Passover. Walking on water at Passover. Giving sight to a man born blind. Raising Lazarus from the dead. And then after Jesus was resurrected, a miraculous catch of fish. Now, John tells us that Jesus did many, many other miracles, but what he does in this book, in his gospel, is he is a curator. Now, I work at RAM, Exeter's museum, and what my curator colleagues do is they take real objects, like this big seed, that's a cocoa de mer seed, that's the biggest and heaviest seed in the world. They take real objects... And they tell a story that's relevant to people today from those objects. Whether it's a story about the history of medicine in Exeter or the value of seeds to help sustain the amazing range of plants that we have in God's world. And that's what John does. He takes real miracles to tell us the story of who Jesus is so that it is relevant to us today. So while we can marvel at these miracles and their evidence that Jesus was special, Jesus was sent from heaven, Jesus is God, we need to think about what John wants us to know from God through reading his gospel. What does God want us to see and what does God want us to do this morning? This is what I think we need to learn this morning. We need to see that God provides for his people and we need to let Jesus into the boat. We need to see that God provides 
and we need to let Jesus into the boat. So let me set the scene for the feeding of more than 5,000 people. Thousands of people are following Jesus at this time. He's been in the city, he's been in Jerusalem, which is at the south of that map, and he's healed a paralyzed man there, and now he's in the countryside, he's in the north. He's in a remote place at the far side of the Lake of Galilee, halfway up a mountain, and yet thousands of people are following him. They're following him because he's healed the sick. They're following him because he has charisma and personality. He's at the height of his popularity. Now, from after this point, everything gets smaller in terms of those who follow Jesus, which is bizarre because actually the story is getting bigger. But Alex is going to speak to you more about that next week. Here, where we are in the gospel, in chapter 6, thousands of people are following him. He has star quality. And if we think about the history of the people of Israel, we know that they could really do with a leader right now. Because their own leader at the time, Herod, well, he is weak and he is corrupt. He is really corrupt. You can read about that in Mark chapter 6. And the people with power, the Romans, well, they don't understand the culture of the people of Israel. They don't understand their history. And they can be really brutal. Crucifixion was their method of punishment. The people of Israel want a leader like Moses. Moses was their leader way back when, when they were an enslaved people. Moses freed them from the Egyptians. With Moses, they escaped from Egypt. They got liberation. They escaped across the water, and they got food. They got bread from heaven in the desert to meet their very real need of hunger. Can you see the connections? And how do we know that this is the connection that John wants us to see? Well, it's because of this verse. Verse 4. The Jewish Passover was near. Many of the stories that John chooses to tell us, those real stories to create, curated to form the gospel, take place at Jewish festivals. And that's really important to John because he wants us to know that there is this strong link between who Jesus is and what God has promised for his people. So the people want a new leader. They remember God's rescue and provision. And this miracle is a sign. God provided for his people at the first Passover. Now Jesus is providing for the people when it's nearly Passover. He wasn't just giving bread to one, albeit very large, set of people. On one evening, on one mountainside, he was showing that not only can he provide bread in this amazing miracle, but that he is the lasting provision for all people. Jesus is the lasting provision for all people. Later, we didn't read it, but later in verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Just imagine being there on that mountainside. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it? You would have had this miraculous meal. But by this time tomorrow, your tummy would be empty again. You'd be hungry. It's like me and I scream. I just can never get enough. So I'm either hungry for it, or if I have lots of it, I just can never get enough. So I wonder this morning, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? If you could click your fingers and have anything, what would it be? A more successful job, a partner, a friend, health, financial security, the end of suffering for someone you love, rest, purpose... I wonder what each of you here are hungry for. How about another question? What is God hungry for? What is God hungry for? What was Jesus hungry for on that mountainside? We get some clues by looking back again. Many commentators link what happens here, the feeding of the 5,000 on this mountain, mountainside, to this verse in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. And you'll, you'll hear some echoes of the story. On this mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people and the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoke. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds really good. That sounds what the world needs. No more shrouds, no more oppression and shame, no more, no more sheets, no more barriers of enmity between nations, no more death, no more tears. That is what God is hungry for. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's on that mountainside that evening on the far side of the lake of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus, he wasn't starting to make this happen by being a leader, the kind of leader who uses their power, the real power that's on display, to just tell others what to do. He wasn't going to lead by personality or charisma. He wasn't just going to be a better Herod one who would get rid of the Romans. Jesus was going to make this happen by laying down his life on the cross, by serving him, by serving us. So this is why in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. I think Jesus disappeared because he had a much bigger plan 
than feeding 5,000 people on a mountainside with five loaves and two fish. It was a more painful plan. It was a more loving, shocking, but ultimately victorious plan. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a king. The people got it right. But he didn't want to be a powerful earthly king for a short time. He wanted to die for people and be their king for all time. He wanted to change hearts. He wanted to show us what ultimate love is, to come and be with us in our hearts by his spirit forever. Because I think that's how nations get changed, when people change. I hope that this big vision of these amazing miracles gives you hope this morning It wasn't just for the people of Israel back then. It's for us today as well. Because starting there on that mountainside, Jesus showed us that he will provide for his people. And that his way, his kingdom is different. Nations change when people change. And people change when they accept the power and love of King Jesus. In good times, when the wind is with us, and in bad times, when the wind is against us. Which brings us to the second miracle. So, after the people had eaten enough, we read in verse 16 and 17 that the disciples got into the boat and they set across the lake to Capernaum. And it was evening. It was getting late by this time. And Jesus wasn't with them. He'd gone off up to the mountainside because he didn't want to be forced to be king. He left them, seemingly, to face the wind without him. So they got into the boat and they started rowing across the lake. And the going got difficult. We read, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. I really like the detail that John puts in. He says they were between three and three and a half miles out from land. And it makes me wonder whether John was the one who was doing most of the rowing. Maybe he was the one that was straining the hardest. Because when it's hard, you feel every strain, don't you? You feel every metre When you're moving forward, when it's hard, it is such a hard slog. And I know that's the case for some of you here this morning. Moving forward is such a hard slog. And to top it all, it was night time. It was the middle of the night. It was dark. And I know some of you here are in dark places. So when they're at the farthest point from land either side, they see this ghost-like apparition coming towards them, and that just adds to everything, and they're really scared. In their fear and their lack of trust, which I think we can all relate to, I think we would feel the same thing if we were there, they hear a voice, and the voice says this, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Now I think we need to just hear those words. 
before I analyse them and dissect them, let's just stop a minute and hear those words. It is I, don't be afraid. Just hear those words, not from me, but from one who can feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and one that can walk on the water in the wind and the waves. One who's walking towards you this morning. It is I, don't be afraid. It is I can be translated as I am he. We're back to Moses again. When Moses first met God, he asked at the burning bush, what's your name? Who are you? What's your name? And God said, my name is, I am who I am, I am. Jesus says, it is I, I am, don't be afraid. Jesus says to us this morning, it is I, don't be afraid. I don't know what wind and rough waters you're battling against at the moment. It may be that you're facing things you've never faced before, temptations, worries, worries about your children, financial worries. Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. So what do you have to do with that? What's the action? What are you going to do? And verse 21 changes everything. Then the disciples were willing to take him into the boat. Jesus didn't force himself into the boat. I mean, he could have. He just fed a thousand people and walked across to them on the water. But he lets them decide. And he lets you decide. He lets me decide. Will you take him into the boat? Will you accept his kingship? Will you accept that in Jesus we have this hope for a feast of rich food for all peoples? Death swallowed up, tears wiped away, even though we live amidst pain and suffering. God provides. Let Jesus into the boat. So I'm going to end by telling you a little bit of my story. I let Jesus into the boat, into my boat, into my young life when I was about 12, 13 years old. I found my way to church through a friend and a teacher, and I truly met Jesus And so around that time, I joined a youth group. There were four of us in our 11 to 14s youth group who wanted to learn more about Jesus. And the youth group leaders would stay behind on a Friday night and do a Bible study with us. Big shout out to youth leaders, okay? You are doing amazing work. And week in, week out, it may not feel like that. But maybe in 30 years' time, there'll be somebody preaching in another church who's there because of you. It really does change lives. Thank you so, so much for all of you who serve in our Young Belmont team. It's just so good. One of these four, 
of us was my friend called Jonathan. Now, he was 11 and I was 13 when we first met. And then we were friends as we grew up throughout the youth group ages. Now, until two weeks ago, the last time I spent any significant time with Jonathan um, was when I was 19. And then two weeks ago, I went for coffee with him in the centre of Birmingham. He lives up in Birmingham, and I've been going up there fairly regularly. Jonathan and his wife are in church leadership, like me. Jonathan loves to get to grips with the Bible, like me. We also both remember the time that his mum dressed me up as a bandit for the church beach mission. And we had a great time catching up. It was just so lovely to see him after all those years. But the thing that I came away with, the strong sense I had and that still stays with me, is how much God's hand has been in mine for those 30 years. I do not regret letting Jesus into the boat that first time and all the time since that I've had to do it. So in those 30 years... There's been lots of ups and downs. There's been times when I've messed up. There's been times when other people have messed up and caused me pain and distress. There's been times of blessing and times of fear, times of hope and times of hopelessness. There's been times when I've been knocked down and been so despairing, but God's people, people sitting here in the room this morning, have picked me up and loved me and cared for me and carried my burdens. Because we're not in this boat on our own. There are others with us. I've been so blessed by you. There's also been times when I've said, no, I'm not letting you into the boat. I want to do it my way. And the Lord of the waves The Lord who can feed 5,000 people to fill a prophecy made thousands of years previously just stands there with all the love in the world standing on the water in the middle of the night saying to me, it is I, don't be afraid. Precious child, let me in the boat. I am the one. I am the king. I am on your side. And one day, there is going to be a feast of nations. Trust in me, I am your salvation. I am the world's salvation. See that God provides for his people and let Jesus into the boat. If God has spoken to you this morning, and my words aren't important, it's God's words that are important. If God has spoken to you this morning, then then come and speak to me. Come and speak to Nick. Come and speak to the people that you're with. Stay for lunch. I'll be at lunch. You can grill me if there's something that you, you disagree with. You can tell me your story of when you let Jesus into the boat. So Ruth and the band are going to come and we're going to sing worship to this amazing God. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord of the waves, Lord of the wind, Lord of the world, Lord of your people, speak to us, be with us this morning.
whether we are feeling so blessed by you, whether we're feeling abandoned by you, help us know that you are standing there saying to us, it is I, don't be afraid, let me in. Thank you for the hope we have, for the hope in, for peace. Thank you for these stories that we read, these real stories of what you did and what you're like. And when we meet you, we'll be able to find about, out about all those other stories that you did. So Lord, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.